Welcome to another episode of Polyphony. This week, we are talking about managing a festival during the Corona times. We have with us an amazing panel today. We are speaking with Shannon McNulty, who is the co-producer at NAC. We have Allison Miller-Thompson, who is the convention manager at Harmony Inc. And Pat Silver, co-manager of SING, the Toronto Vocal Arts Festival. Welcome back to Polyphony. And here is your host, Erin. Thanks so much, Rachel. I'd love to start kind of just going around the horn and, and kind of getting a level set because 2020 was, I think it's safe to say, a rough year for everybody. So just to get a sense about how 2021 has been going and, and where people are right now, Allison, I wonder if maybe you could start from your perspective about what's this year looking like? Absolutely. Thank you, Erin. It's a pleasure to be here representing Harmony Inc. And unfortunately for us, 2021 wasn't much better than 2020. At the end of 2020, we were, you know, had canceled our international convention and contest with the hopes of being in person this fall. But it became pretty evident early on that that just wasn't going to be feasible. So we had to cancel our plans once again this year, which was pretty disappointing for everybody. And I know a lot of our groups, you know, haven't even been able to start rehearsing yet because of restrictions and and getting together. So we have our fingers crossed for 2022. And we have our eyes set on that. And do you have any more traditionally scheduled regional or area events later in this year that are or are not happening? Or where are those in the next couple of months? Actually, everything has been canceled for 2021. Our regional events are a precursor to our international competition, and it's how people qualify to attend. So those usually start at the beginning of the year. And when we saw that we couldn't host any of those, it became pretty evident that there was going to be no reason to hold an international convention this fall. So yes, we've kind of had to cancel everything, but we pivoted nicely and have focused on education opportunities. We've brought in a lot of coaches. We've offered a steady stream of education classes and coaching, and a lot of our courses are doing joint rehearsals so that they can stay connected that way. So that part has really been a blessing for us and worked out really good. Awesome. Pat, how about for you? What was the 2021 festival year, or has it, is it, I suppose, it's still going on? How has it been for you? In 2020, 2021 was, again, virtual. 2020 was virtual. 2021 was virtual because we were under lockdown orders, so we could not hold anything live. But we did take advantage of that to bring in clinicians from all over the world, which we couldn't have done if we were live because we couldn't have afforded it. We're not a rich festival. And we also had an opportunity to bring artists from across the country virtually to the screen. So we did a program called Aka Night in Canada, where we had literally coast-to-coast-to-coast artists showcased in our festival. So we used it to our advantage to reach out in a way we'd never been able to do before, not only in terms of bringing in artists, but also in terms of audiences. And we had a lot of reaction from audiences who said, I've always wanted to come to your festival, but I live in, you know, fill in the blank, Bali, Ottawa, the U.S., you know, and I can't afford to come or it's not doesn't work for me for some reason, but I'm tuned in. So we actually took the problem and made it an opportunity and ran a complete festival. And I will tell you, according to the Festivals Ontario organization, 90%, 90% of festivals closed and did not run 2020 and 2021, but we did. And then, much to our delight and surprise, we got funded to do a summer festival. Our regular festival's in May. We got funded to do something in August. We knew We found out two weeks in advance that we had funding to run a 25-day program. And everyone stopped what they were doing 
and dived in. It was a, a joint program with TU Jazz, which is a university jazz organization. They present university students. They're not a cappella. But we took eight of the 25 days, Saturdays, Fridays and Saturdays, and we programmed artists who could actually sing together because either they were family or they had been able to rehearse or they just went on stage and said, well, we sang this a year and a half ago. We probably can remember it. And we had 200 in the audience. That was our, our legal limit. The government tells you, according to square footage, how many people can attend. And then we had thousands on the live stream. So that ran for the month of August. And we are looking at launching a fall workshop schedule. I'll know shortly whether we're going to be doing that. So we've been pretty busy. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. Shannon, uh, you are kind of in an interesting position in that out of some sort of incredible foresight or prediction of world pandemic, you had a year without a festival there for a while, right? What, what was kind of the, how did that all play into the, the cycle? Yeah, so it was... Interesting. So right before the pandemic hit here in the US, it was like the last weekend in February, I was sitting by the pool with JD down in Florida, checking out our venue, making plans for 2021. And literally two weeks later, everything shut down. So it was an immediate flip. We made the decision last, or gosh, no, it wasn't last. It was like two summers ago that we were going to, we had already taken a year off of NAC to plan for our big move to Orlando. And it became very apparent that we were also going to have to postpone the 2021 festival, which would have been this past March. So we were able to kind of like take our foot off the gas, reevaluate and rethink what 2022 is going to look like. And now we're full steam ahead, which is really exciting. It's almost like, you know, after taking the time off and going through what we all went through, we're all like, oh my gosh, like this is happening we're doing it like here we go there's a lot of excitement amongst the team and yeah we're just kind of rolling with that momentum now and heading towards march 2022 and as you start to think about 2022 given the unpredictability i would say is probably a light way to put it of the last 18 yeah. months what kind of sort of contingency planning do you do i mean should the world all collapse again or half collapse or whatever how do you think about that in the context of a march festival it's very tricky i will say that at this point we've already passed our our point of no return in terms of our contract with our venue. So we are going and we're really excited about that. But it's also, in some ways, you have to look for the positives. In many ways, you have to look for the positives, right? And since we had so much time to learn what this virus was and how it impacted people, how it is passed from person to person, et cetera, et cetera. We have a ton of information to go off of. And both JD and I are public school teachers. So we've been kind of dealing with it on the front lines in that regard. So we have, I think, a lot of really great information to go off of. We obviously have to operate within the rules and laws of the state of Florida and any local laws pertaining to Orlando. But at this, yeah, such as they are. And with that in mind, we are also going to have a code of conduct, which was something that we had planned on having anyway, seeing as how we have a mix of college students and high school students and adults coming. We wanted to be really clear on what our expectations were for attendees. So now we're just going to be tacking on any additional COVID protocols to that code of conduct. And it's going to be very clear as to if you don't adhere to that, what the consequences are. So we're in the process of developing that. And obviously that will, it's malleable as we learn more. <laughs> 
different as we get closer to March. But yeah, we are just, we're like Gumby at this point. We're so flexible. As long as there's no Mr. Bill, you're in good shape, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Allison, I wonder about, you know, Shannon was talking about venue issues as well as the heterogeneity of the audience and where they are kind of in terms of COVID, both awareness and readiness and that sort of thing. And it seems like you confront both of those things also in, in pretty significant ways. And so I wonder about starting with venues, I guess, looking ahead to 2022, how has that been for you? Because obviously there's been missed dates and contracts and everything, obviously for 2021 and 2020 to some degree. How has that affected your planning for next year? Absolutely. So, I mean, we've already started thinking ahead and are starting to have conversations with our venues. We're asking all of the what if questions and thinking through scenarios. And if things don't come to together in the spring when we need to start our regional contest again, you know, what does that look like for the fall? And we absolutely don't want to not meet because that just doesn't seem possible or doable. And we all need to be together. So we take a shift and say, okay, what, maybe it's an event, but it's a little bit different than what we're going to normally do. But to what Shannon was saying in the protocols, when this first happened in 2019 and 2020, it was interesting because there was a part of me that was saying, here we come to these big conventions, whether it's a singing event or whatever it is in our work lives, you know, we all attend these events and wear ourselves out. We have all these people crammed into these rooms and we don't sleep and we don't eat right. right. And all of a sudden COVID hits and everyone's very self-conscious about the environment and the cleanliness and making sure we take care of ourselves. And, and I'm going, this is really a great thing. And we are looking at building all of those types of things into our programming when we do eventually meet again to make sure that we're providing a safe environment, making sure that we're not spreading germs, making sure that we're just aware of that stuff and, and making the experience better for everybody because we'll all be healthier and we'll be sleeping. And, and it just, I kind of chuckle about it because it's like, we should have been thinking about those things all along, but we just didn't, right? Yeah, absolutely. Are you finding with all the venues that you are in contact with and that have you've been talking with about 2022 that venues are more receptive and flexible and easier to book and find because of the disruptions or now they're harder to work with because everyone is trying to rebook their things for the same time. I mean, it seems like both things are operative, right? Yeah. In the beginning, they were very flexible. We want to work with you. We want to be your partner. We're in this together. Let's make it happen. They were desperate for business, right? That, you know, they were hurting just as much as we were. But now I think it's flipped a little bit and the demand is there. So they don't have to be as flexible, but it still behooves us to have those conversations. And with our organization, we do frequent the same venues more than once and, and often. So there is a partnership there. And that's why I said, you know, we want to start those conversations now with them and just say, hey, let's work together. Neither of us wants to cancel this. How can we make it work for both of us and have those conversations now? And then, of course, when we start rebooking new properties, because we've had to rebook all of the cancellations. So we're booked out through, gosh, 28, 29. But as we look at new contracts, you know, we definitely want to make sure that the, the contracting and the clausing and the, and the wording in there is such that we do have a better out than we saw in the last couple of years, right? And is that a negotiating point that the venues seem to be ready for and having that conversation? Some of them are, you know, I find that when you deal with the larger chains, they have their protocols in place. And it's almost like there's plenty of business out there for us to get. So they don't want to work with you as much. But some of those smaller chains, and like I said, those that have relationships with us already are willing to to help us put in some of that clausing and some of that wording. And one of the things that I 
learned about during all of this because I tried to listen to the conversations and the lawyers and, and what everyone was saying about all of this. And there's some wording that you can put in there about the purpose of your event. And if the purpose of my event is to bring everybody together to sing and a virus prevents that, whether the government has shut it down or not, we can't hold that event because we can't sing because it spreads the virus. So that should be enough of a reason for me to get out of the contract. So I'm learning about little things like that that we can work through and include in future contracting. Yeah, for sure. That's a good tip. Pat, how about for you, as you start to look ahead to 2022, the last couple of years were so successful as virtual events, but I imagine you're starting to think in-person venue booking and all that sort of thing. How are those conversations going? We are booked. We have our venues. We're going back to the venue we're at in 2019. It is really hard to get a venue because so many people are wanting to stage events, but they gave us preferential treatment. They said, you're a returning customer, so we will take you for First, and we got all the dates that we wanted, which is amazing. We did talk to another venue. I oh, know we did. We talked to another venue who said, "Don't even talk to us for two years because we are trying to make good on all the things that had to get canceled." And that's really what we're up against. So we're all set for venues. It is going to be a hybrid festival in 2022. We are going to go live. I'm saying that with great confidence <laughs> that we will have an audience. Well, as of a couple of days ago, the province of Ontario has now allowed full capacity on all live events, whether it's sport. I know they just announced it, sporting events, concerts, cinemas, 100% capacity. So you now have 20,000 people in an arena watching a hockey game. And we don't have audiences of 20,000. I wish we could for acapella, but absolutely not. We're not quite there. So we're looking at a, a 450 seat house and we expect we will be able to fill it. The biggest challenge is will people come? Are they going to be afraid to be in a crowd? But we figure by May of 2022, two things. One is they're going to be starved for the they're going to want to see something live. And the other is that we will be so far into this time frame where people have been going to these large, especially sporting events, they're all selling out. Concerts are selling out. So we have lots of time to for people to get used to the idea of being in a crowd. And again, with COVID protocols, we know how to get, we've studied all the ingress, the egress, and how to get people in, how to keep them safe. And we feel very positive, but it will be a hybrid festival because what we discovered by bringing those international clinicians to our audience is that we can offer so much more to our listeners, to our audience members by having a workshop with the real group or having a workshop with somebody from the Swingles where we couldn't have brought them in person. But what a great opportunity to learn from these people who have so much to offer, so much experience in the field. And so there will be that hybridity. And we also will be doing four days of live outdoor concerts, free concerts, and we will live stream them as well for people who are not 100% certain they want to come or who live in Bali or Germany. They will live stream those concerts. Are you, as you look ahead, I mean, I know that you talked about sort of drawing a line in the sand that there will be, capital W, capital B, a live in-person indoor part of this. Is there some sort of contingency planning and stuff in there too, just in case? I mean, you know, one never knows these days, it seems like. Well, we have in all of our contracts, we have a force majeure, which is what we've used in the past. We have two artists, headlining artists, that were contracted to come in 2020, and of course they couldn't because they could a they couldn't get across the border, and b nothing was open. So the force majeure says if there is a pandemic or any kind of public health issue that we can cancel entirely. If we have to, 
we know how to pivot. We did it before. We've done it twice. We know how to bring people into a theater that's empty and fill. Even if we can't have an audience, it, it doesn't mean we can't have the performers. So we also know how to go to performers and say, I know you live in Nunavut or I know you live in Halifax. Can you get together and film safely and send us the video? We've done that before. So we have, unfortunately, there's been a pandemic and we've got experience with handling it. And we have a really great team, a new artistic director of seeing Kevin Fox from formerly the Swingles and associate artistic director Chris Tsujiuchi, who teaches at Sheridan College, is a specialist in musical theater and also an acapella performer. So these two have the connections and the experience on what kind of performers we should present and how we can present them. If they can't be live, how we'll do it on a hybrid. Yeah. Well, we have so much more that we'll be talking to these amazing panelists about within just a few moments, but we need to take a short break. On the other side, we'll be chatting with them about things like how do you pivot when you need to pivot and how do you secure performers in these times? So stick with us. We'll be back with Shannon McNulty, Allison Miller-Thompson, and Pat Silver. You probably know the sing festivals across the world, but did you know they have a great radio show too? Every week, Sing Radio brings you amazing vocal harmonies from Canada and around the globe. Different styles, different genres, but it's all really, really good. Hear it each Friday at 8 p.m. East, 5 p.m. West, and again on Sundays at 3 p.m. East, noon West. Across the Commonwealth, Londoners can hear it Saturdays at 1 p.m., while those in Sydney can catch it Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. And we're back talking about managing festivals during COVID with Pat Silver, who's co-manager of Sing Toronto, Allison Miller-Thompson, convention manager of Harmony Inc., and Shannon McNulty, co-producer of NAC. Here's your host, Aaron. Thanks, Rachel. Shannon, you mentioned about attendees. And I think one theme that we've had through all this is butts in seats uh, and getting the right number of them since there are also venue limitations as well. But for NAC, because it's a scholastic audience to a significant degree, at least, it seems like the lead times for planning for some of those folks are pretty long. And I wonder how that impacts how you communicate with them in this uncertain. Yeah, that's a great question because I'm on both sides of that as a director that is bringing hopefully their school to NAC and as the co-producer of NAC. So we, as I mentioned earlier, we kind of like took our foot off the gas when this all happened because everybody was in panic mode of not just like, how are we going to travel, but like, how are we going to function as a scholastic group this coming year? So it was really exciting when we kind of hit the spring of last year and things started, you know, the vaccine was rolling out. We were seeing states opening up. It's also been interesting too, because I'm up here in New England. I'm in Massachusetts and JD, the co-producer of NAC lives down in Tennessee. So we're operating under very different protocols, just being in different states. So, you know, kind of being in touch about that and with our coordinators at NAC as well, it became apparent in the spring we can start reaching out and just kind of taking people's temperature, letting them know that we're here and that we're excited. And what we have found is that, especially as we've hit the fall we're starting to get a lot more touch points, which is very exciting. I know that like personally, I'm going to be going to my school committee at the end of this month and pitching this. So fingers crossed for us. But it's really, it's school to school and everyone's marker of what is safe and appropriate is different. So we are trying to provide directors with as much information about our festival and what we're offering both educationally and in terms of COVID protocols that they can feel like they can 
can go to their administration and advocate for bringing their students. But yeah, it is tricky. It is definitely a dance. Sure. You brought up the geographic differences between you and JD. And I wonder sort of more broadly, are you seeing any regional trends amongst the scholastic registrations about places where there are communities that are much more willing to throw a bunch of kids in a bus and send them down to Florida or a plane or not? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you brought up the bus versus the plane. So we're finding that what I'm seeing in terms of the trends is that groups that have to travel further are less likely to jump in with both feet because it's going to be more of a potential loss for them if their school district says, uh, just kidding, never mind, you can't do this anymore. So we're finding that a lot of states from the Midwest, or states, a lot of schools, excuse me, from the Midwest, (laughs) the entire state's coming. I would love that. Yeah, so schools from the Midwest and from the South, a couple from various other places. But in general, that's where we're getting the most engagement from. I'm hoping that that will shift as we're kind of rolling along with the year. But yeah, it it is interesting because usually I know when we plan our large festival trips, we're planning two years out. And, you know, here I am a couple months away and we're rolling with it. So I think a lot of people are in the same boat and we're just trying to facilitate those conversations for directors so we can get them back having a live musical experience. Yeah. Well, it seems like just as you are, there are lots of other Gumbies out there, right? So hopefully there are people (laughs) that are super flexible and are willing to do that at the last minute, relatively speaking, and put it together. Yep. We're ready to pivot. And luckily, I have a really, really great team that we've assembled. We are expanding NAC from what it was in the past. It's a choral festival. It's an honor choir festival, as well as an acapella showcase festival. And we have the educational component that we've always had. We have Mark Silverberg, who's in charge of our choral festival, Leah Browning, who's in charge of our education, Alex Alberti, who's in charge of our showcase, and John DeFerraro, who's in charge of our honor choir. So they're a superstar team. So I know that whatever curveballs get thrown, like I can knock those heads together and we're going to come up with a solution. Yeah, for sure. Alex, what about for you? You know, Harmony Inc. also has a pretty broad geographic reach. And I wonder if you're seeing in terms of singer readiness, you know, participant and attendee readiness, is that varying by community? What are you observing? Absolutely. And before we dive into that, I want to just throw into what Shannon was saying about how it is different regionally, but I've also found out that it's very different for each individual. So, you know, regardless of where they live, my opinion of something and how I feel, I was ready to move forward. And it was like, oh, wait, no, no, we have a lot of people who just are not ready. So it's not just where you're located, but it's personal preference based on, you know, who knows all kinds of different things that we had to take into consideration. So it's very important to get that feedback from membership. And don't just assume everybody feels the same way you do. But absolutely, you know, we are based primarily in the Northeast of the U.S. and in Canada, and huge differences in how quickly things were opening up. Canada, obviously, is, I think, still some locations are are not fully opened, and some courses still are not able to rehearse in full capacity, whereas, you know, I'm based in Kentucky, and things opened up pretty quickly for us. So my chorus, we all got vaccinated fairly early and and were able to start rehearsing and, and singing together, and we've had a few shows, so that's been great for us. But it's just so different across the spectrum. And again, when we look at next year, because our events are based on those groups being able to get together and sing and practice and compete, it's really right. hard to move forward when it's such a varying degree of readiness. Oh, for sure. I, you, know, you talked about the decision point also varying at the individual level, and I wonder how you go about reaching that 
kind of heterogeneity of individuality, you know, everybody of sort of reaching those, the hesitant people to kind of bring them along a little bit. How do you do that? Well, I'm not sure you can for everybody. And with something like this, there are strong opinions and strong passions, right? And we accept that and we acknowledge that. And we don't ever want to feel like people are being forced into situations where they're not ready to move forward. And so, you know, last year, our strategic approach was to reach out to the groups, to their directors and to their course presidents and say, tell us how you're feeling. At this point in time, if we were to hold a convention in the fall, would you be able to commit your membership to attend. And again, we had such varying responses that it was evident we we weren't ready to make that decision. So we waited a couple of months and things changed and things started opening up and we're like, oh, maybe this is the time. But we reached out again and it was just still too many people said, you know, we can't do it. We can't put 130 people up on those risers standing back, you know, side to side and singing and spitting on top of each other and feel good about that. We just can't, you know. So communicating and getting the pulse of your membership or your organization for us was key on how we move forward with our decisions. And you have people that hate the decisions you make, right? There's people that are saying, we need to be together, we need to be singing, and we get that. But when it comes down to the health and safety of our membership, we always have to put that first. For sure. Is there a plan or a pattern that you've developed with Harmony Inc. about these surveys? Because it sounds like you're doing them relatively regularly to kind of assess readiness of folks to re-engage. Yeah, so we kind of look, go back to the contracting, right, and look at what those dates are aligned with our cancellation clauses and, and when the, the prices go up and when things bump up. And we kind of backtrack from there and mm-hmm. say, okay, this is the time frame where we have to make our go-no-go decision. And leading up to that, we would just start surveying. So it's not something that we planned out a year in advance, right? It's just kind of as circumstances change and develop and we say, oh, well, maybe now's the time because things seem to be doing better. But then all of a sudden the fall hits and you're like, oh, things are closed up again. So, you know, you just never know. You just have to be flexible and communicate, I think is the most important thing. I mean, people get it. People know we're struggling with decisions and that we want to make the right decision. We don't want to rush into a decision. We want people's opinions and we want to make sure that we're doing the right thing for everybody involved. So they get it. If you're up front and you're empathetic and talk the truth, speak the truth, then they get it. Yeah, yeah. Pat, how about for you? The in-person parts of the festival draw attendees far and wide, but it seems like a core of them are from the greater Toronto area. And I wonder, are you seeing trends around, I mean, you talked about sporting events are drawing all kinds of bodies. Does that augur well for the festival? I think so. We have three and a half million people in just in the center of Toronto. And then we're if you look broader, Ontario has more than 10 million people. So we're kind of the third of Canada, if you all right. question to one province. Yeah. And I, you know, I think the fact that people are willing to go and see something live is a really good indicator. We'll see what happens, whether any of those become super spreader events. We don't know what opened up just. Right. But we have a very high vaccination rate at the moment. There's, it's 82% in Ontario are fully wow. vaccinated and 87% have at least one shot. And there are all kinds of clinics going on constantly. It seems to be a very high compliance rate. We also, you cannot attend any indoor event unless you are fully vaccinated. So that is part of the protection that if you, you know, those 15 or 20,000 people at a sporting event are fully vaccinated and wearing masks. 
So I, you know, we feel, people feel pretty protected in going there. We haven't yet any kind of super spreader situations out of even smaller gatherings. Once in a while you see on the news, hey, if you went to a wedding at this place on this day, call us. But that's very rare because of the high vaccination rate. And we feel pretty confident that people will continue to be compliant. For the most part, you won't get 100 percent, but you'll get a high high compliance rate. And therefore, they will feel comfortable going into something. We have what they're calling a vaccine passport or something like that rolling out in Ontario. So if you want to go anywhere, you show on your phone that you, you are fully vaccinated. And that is now federal rule. You cannot get on a plane, a train, or a bus without showing full vaccination. You cannot work in a hospital. You cannot be a federal employee without being fully vaccinated. You can't work for our transit system. So the more we have this kind of buy-in from people, I think the more people are going to feel comfortable being together and singing together. Groups are starting to rehearse. We're seeing that. The groups that we had in our summer festival were groups that, first of all, we we didn't have 130 people choired because they, they hadn't rehearsed. That was impossible. We knew we couldn't get large choirs, but we could have the Alt Sisters. They're actually sisters. And we could have Free Play. That's Suba and Dylan. You probably know them, and they're married. We could have a group called Ori Shalva because they're a family. It's a husband, wife, and, and son. So that's where we really pushed at that point. And a few other groups, because it was an outdoor stage and we had them standing apart, and we are very careful about microphones. Nobody shares a microphone. I think we had 23 wireless mics and we didn't have any large groups and that was so that nobody would ever have to use a microphone that day that anyone had touched for any reason so we feel like we're protecting people and not only that they still have to do a covid questionnaire even though they're vaccinated we take their temperature we ask for a questionnaire and i know if we're bringing artists from the u.s or or any other country they will have to get a test in order to get on a flight they can't land in canada without it so we're feeling feeling pretty good that we're covering well and that people will, in fact, because we know that, that people will feel more comfortable about attending because they know that, that everyone is so protected. Is that extra overhead of checking vaccination status and all the other kinds of components, is that an additional piece that you and your team need to staff or is that provided by the venue? How are you handling those extra logistics? Well, we haven't done it yet, so it's next May. Uh, I know that the way it's being handled now is it does make it a slower entry for people with tickets to concerts because you now have to check on, they have to show you their vaccination certificate on their phone or they can bring you a printed certificate. So not only do you have to check their ticket, you have to check their certificate. It is going to slow things down. When we did our concert series this summer in Ontario, everyone had to fill out a COVID form before they could attend. And it was part of a contact tracing that we do in Ontario. So we know everyone who came to the concert, they've given us an affidavit that they have no symptoms and that they have not traveled in the last 14 days and they haven't been around anyone who's sick. So they could do that online prior to attending. Then they showed us their form on their phone. We just scanned it quickly and they got in. So it did not hold us up too badly. And again, we're not talking about 20,000 people. I'd be interested to talk to Live Nation to see how they do 20,000, that we had 200 this summer. Can we do 450? Yeah, we have a lot of volunteers. We'll just, instead of having one door to get in the the theater, we'll have four and we'll just have volunteers on the doors. Gotcha. Shannon, I know that the big push right now for NAC is in-person Palooza coming up in like five months or so, something like that. I wonder if there are 
elements of the remote technologies and some of the other components that seem to have become ubiquitous in the last couple of years that you might apply to this? And not necessarily reducing the focus on the in-person part, but again, because perhaps there's a smaller audience of people who can make that trip this cycle. Yeah, we have not discussed adding a remote component to the festival. As of right now, our focus is, you know, like you mentioned, completely on the in-person. I think that we're really set up for success in the venue that we have. Just comparing it to in the past, we've been at schools, we were at Briarcrest for many years. So in, sure. you know, s- smaller classroom environments, whereas Allison was no describing, right? Oh, not lovely. at all. Like, like, we love Briarcrest. <laughs> but as Allison mentioned, right, there is, when you think about like the number of people kind of packed into a small space, that makes people feel itchy. And I totally understand and relate to that. We're going to be at the Wyndham International in Orlando. So we're going to be working out of ballrooms this time. So much bigger venue. And we're talking about rooms. Our smallest room, I think the capacity is 100 people. So we should be able to maintain like plenty of distancing. And additionally, it's a beautiful open campus. So, so much of what we're going to be doing, all of the acapop performances are going to be outside. So we're going to be able to take advantage of the, the wonders of Florida in March, which is very exciting. And we love fresh air and air circulation. Yes. So yes, so we're very (laughs) excited about that. Also to back up on what Pat was saying, I actually just went to my first concert here in Boston a couple weeks ago. You know, it was maybe for like the first five minutes. It was the friendliest concert I have ever attended. It was amazing. Like I think everyone was just so happy to be back with live music. I literally walked into my row. People were introducing themselves to me. (laughs) Everyone was buying each other drinks and you had to present your, yeah, you had to present your either your vaccination card or a negative test to get in. It maybe added five seconds to my process of going to the venue. So Pat, to just make you feel a little more at ease, it really wasn't any additional complication. And it just made everyone feel so much safer and comfortable. And that was like three weeks ago. So we are well past the super spreader event stage. So, so I think you'll great. find people are more willing sure. to stand in those lines a little bit longer. I think everybody's attitude and willingness to you know put up with stuff like that because we're excited to be out and be together. I had the same experience. I actually flew somewhere earlier this year towards the beginning of the year and it was the best plane ride I have uh. ever been on everybody was so happy to be there <laughs> the, the uh, staff was great and we just had a great time I mean obviously we had to wear a mask and we couldn't eat or drink anything but by golly the plane looked so clean and it was it yeah. was great you're hungry yes. but friendly well if you're hungry we encourage you now to get a snack since we'll be taking a short break on the other side we'll be talking about things like what role government policies and mandates and restrictions play in the planning process in addition to has it been easier to get volunteers right now so stick with us we'll have more with allison shannon and pat every week for an hour we turn over the airwaves to the craziest people around our listeners fortunately they also have the best taste hear it all each week on the requests and dedications hour you pick tunes in the app or on the website and we play them every thursday at 9 p.m east 6 p.m west and again sunday at 2 p.m east 11 a.m west around the world catch it saturdays at noon london time 8 p.m tokyo time we'll be playing the tunes you pick and having a great time doing it and we are back with our last segment on managing festivals during covid we're talking with allison miller thompson convention manager for harmony inc shannon mcnulty who is co-producer of NAC and Pat Silver, who is co-manager of Sing Toronto. 
Here again is your host, Aaron. Thanks, Rachel. Allison, we were talking before the break a little bit about the presence of remote kinds of technologies in an in-person event. And I wonder, Harmony Inc. has done a bunch of this of remote education in the last couple of years, particularly to kind of fill this void. You were talking about that earlier. Would that ever continue to be part of an in-person event, do you think, moving forward? Is there a role for some of those technologies? Absolutely. And it's interesting because what we've brought to the virtual world is what we would do at our conventions normally. You know, we we always offered an educational yeah. component, but we're restricted by who could teach the classes based on who was going to be there, right? So it just opened up so many great opportunities, as someone mentioned earlier, to bring in people that normally you wouldn't have in, in this crowd because they couldn't travel or, or whatever reasons. And so at our international event, we always did stream the show part of things, the contest, but absolutely we consider just depending on how things shake out, you know, do we look at recording some of those or live streaming some of the education sessions as as well. So all to be determined. But you know, if anything can be said about positives coming out of this experience, I think, like I mentioned earlier, just being able to provide access to so much information and coaching and training, it's just been such a positive experience for our membership. Yeah, I, I would say that one of the nice things about recording everything and making it available online is people who bought festival passes could go anytime. If, and we kept the all of the recordings up for a month. In regular times, if the concert is tomorrow, that's it. If you're busy or sick or out of town, you've missed it. In hybrid times, because it's recorded, you can buy a festival pass and not ever go on the actual day, but just do it at your own convenience. And so that has been a real problem. Do you feel like, Pat, even in a, in a post-COVID world, whenever that may end up being, that that may still be an element? that you might continue to do the, the online passy kind of thing? Yeah. Oh, definitely. We are absolutely going to have festival passes online for our, our educational workshops. And there will be certain concerts that will be online and certain components. And because we're live streaming, we can record and make those available as well. Nice. What about staffing these events? Festivals are not personnel light, generally speaking, from the planning process all the way to the execution. And I wonder about, and Pat, we'll start with you since we were talking with you just a second ago. Is this kind of era of pandemic distraction, does that make it easier or harder to get folks to help out? We really only need volunteers pretty much during our festival. We need them to staff our intake and outtake of people coming and going to our concerts. We have them handing out our brochures. We have them handing out our various flyers throughout the city. And we do run a silent auction. So we ask our volunteers to go and get us good stuff that we can put in the silent auction. But out of the main festival time, we're really run by our board of directors. We have 19 on our board of directors and they come from many different backgrounds. Most of them are not acapella singers, but a lot of media people. We have an engineer, two engineers, actually. We have an accountant. We have some CEOs of companies and they are the volunteers. They are the heart and soul of what keeps us running. And then we have a small amount of paid staff. It's kind of the equivalent of one person, but it's three people who are uh, split over multiple days in the week. And then we have a social media person who works one day a week. So that's how we managed to keep it going. Yeah, like Pat, we have a very robust volunteer program for our in-person event. But what's been so great about this shifting to virtual, we have for the last two years done a virtual convention. And it's been a great success. But it's allowed us to reach out and pull in people that normally would not be a part of our convention planning or execution. 
fun. And there's so many people in our organization that have such great talents. And to be able to tap into that and let them share that with our membership has just been great and and given me the opportunity to meet so many wonderful, great people that I I probably wouldn't have during the in-person event itself. So it's it's been fun to see that come to fruition these last two years. Do you feel like, Allison, that those folks that kind of got brought in through the virtual wave are lifers now? I mean, are they going to be long-term volunteers out of this? Have you added these great resources for... I certainly hope so. Too. It's it's such a different environment when you're talking about in person than than doing the virtual stuff because the virtual yeah. you can tap into people's talents and you know things that they enjoy doing. Whereas you know as Pat mentioned, you're handing out flyers or you're showing somebody to the stage when you're on site and it's such a busy hectic schedule and people are performing and and competing. So you know it's just a different scope. But I do hope that they've enjoyed the experience enough that they will consider it you know moving forward for in person. Yeah, for sure. Shannon, how about how about for you? in the volunteer scene. The Wyndham's a big place. We'll need lots of volunteers around it, I'm sure. In addition to all the lead-up stuff, you talked about the amazing team that you have in kind of leadership spots, but I wonder about sort of the everybody else parts. Well, we're going to be putting out our call for volunteers shortly, so thank you for that plug. So I'll have to get back to you on that one. (laughs) I am really confident, just based on what we've been hearing from folks that have been longtime participants in NAC, that they're excited to come and be a part of it again and to volunteer in whatever capacity they can, which is, I feel very thankful for that. Because I will say one of the challenges that we did not anticipate was we, I think, worked very, very hard over many years to develop a reputation as an educational event that we were really proud of. And because we serve a mostly scholastic audience, the turnover, we've had two years of turnover Right. So now we are reaching out to groups that have come for every year of NAC and we're saying, hey, are you coming? And they're like, who are you? <laughs> right. So we, in essence, are having to start from scratch all over again. And what a beautifully humbling yeah. moment for us. But it really gives us time to take stock of what makes our festival special and to be able to pitch that to these groups and remind them, you know, why their predecessors joined us and why they should join us as well. So that piece of it, it's not even like the volunteer. It's like the, the groups that we thought were lifers, right? Just right. losing the momentum of that two years, we're having to re-explain to them why NAC is special and why they should come. So Absolutely. Yeah. Allison, are you feeling that that momentum? Yes, I was just going to chime well. in there to say I'm already in the back of my mind thinking about how we are going to have to publicize and advertise and encourage people to attend. Because even though things may be opened up and people are feeling better about being together, I still think there's going to be some of that hesitation and that we're going to have to resell the benefits of, of participating in this event. So definitely in the back of my mind. is, And we're going to start with our virtual convention this year. So we will start talking about and getting people pumped up about next year's event and being in person together again, finally, and, and hope to build that into a whole campaign that we'll start running next year. That's awesome. Pat, as you ramped back up for the some of the in-person stuff that you were doing in the summer, for example, was there any need to kind of re-educate people on your brand and what you're about? Or was the lapse not significant enough to cause that need? Well, we didn't really have a lapse. The only thing is in 2020, we, we are normally the last week of May and the first week of June. That's our little sweet. Right. And what happened in 2020 is in March, 
we started looking at what was going on in the world and said, are we actually going to hold a festival? And we kept looking and looking and looking. And as the weeks were going on, we were constantly talking about, can we do this or we can't do this? And finally, we said, we're not going to do it in May. We have no way of knowing what's going to go on. We have no mechanism. And we said, let's do it in the fall. So that was in September. And then the following May... 2021, we did our full festival. And what we found in the summer was people were delighted to come and our volunteers were thrilled to be there. We had so many volunteers, way more volunteers than we actually needed, but they were so anxious to be part of this again and feel like they're making a contribution. They love acapella. They love being part of the arts and they were great. We have them doing surveys and handing out materials and checking, inviting people to come in and they were just wonderful. So I think we're going to be able to hold on to volunteers and really keep them and maybe increase the base. And we'll just keep planning. I mean, we, every day right now, our artistic directors and our director of strategy and engagement are in a meeting planning for our, we hope to, to run a fall series that will keep the momentum going. I think momentum is the biggest issue for any festival. If you are only a couple of weeks a year, if you're only one weekend a year, what happens for the other 11 months? How do you keep people interested? And that is a challenge that we think we're going to meet through having workshops throughout the year and reaching out. We have a new program, a collegiate acapella competition that we launched this year. It was very successful. We've partnered with the, it's called CANAC, the Canadian Acapella uh, that's for university students. And we were part of their conference that went on in October. So that kind of outreach that you do year round, I think will pay off when you actually get to the. How is the performer sort of booking process right now for you? Is that as it has ever been, or is it more or less difficult because of COVID? We have booked our headliners, our poor headliners that were supposed to come. Accent, you know them. They were booked and paid. And then we had a pandemic, so they will be coming this year, finally. We have another headliner I can't announce because it's not signed, but they are multiple Grammy Award winners and wonderful, wonderful artists. And then we have a contingent of, I'm going to say, our regular artists that are acapella artists that are Canadian, Retrocity, Countermeasure, Beat Sync, Free Play, Alt Sisters. I mean, these are names that you know, and they will absolutely be there. I don't think we have to do any arm twisting. They're already, you know, chomping at the bit to be part of it. And then we have all of our community groups, Coro San Marco and the Miles Nadal JCC Choir that want to do a lot of barbershop groups, want to be part of it. So I think when they find that there's an opportunity to perform, I don't think it's going to be a problem at all to do it. Shannon, how about for you on the performer side? You know, headlining groups, some have maybe paused briefly here and there, but all the scholastic performing groups, for example, some of them just shut down for a year in some cases. How is that affecting your ability to, to get them? So from the for our headliners, we had booked our headliners for 2021. And unfortunately, due to a couple of, I think, some resulting from COVID situations and then also visa situations right. as the visa laws and restrictions changed over the past year, year and a half. So we had to make some changes, but we're thrilled about our lineup. It was really important to us, especially coming back into community singing, that we were representing a wide swath of interests. And so we're going to be starting off with Highline Vocal Jazz 
Jazz for our Thursday night welcoming concert. Um, very excited about that. Some fellow I- Ithaca grads in there. And on Saturday, we are starting the night off with Spider Horse, the beatbox duo, Gene and Chris. And we'll be closing out that night with Women of the World. Okay. And, and then on Saturday night, the Edge Effect is going to take us home and also present all of our awards from the various different festivals. And I know they're just going to absolutely crush that. And they're local to Orlando. So they literally get to drive home and sleep in their own beds that night, which is very (laughs) convenient and nice for them. So yeah, we are actually, I mean, my head is already thinking 2023, you know, when we're going to start booking that out, which is exciting. So throw your ideas this way, everybody. (laughs) And in terms of the scholastic groups, we won't be featuring any specific scholastic performances, but the applications for our showcases. So we'll be featuring 10 high school groups and 10 collegiate groups groups on the main stage during the day, similar to how NAC has operated in the past. Mm-hmm. So those applications are going to catch me off guard. I, it should be <laughs> up on the website. So if you're interested in coming to NAC and being part of that showcase, you can go to our website, which is acapellaconvention.com and check out all the great information there. And the only catch is that you do have to have your passes purchased to be eligible for the showcases. Sure. Allison, how about for you in terms of getting the clinicians, the folks that are coming in to do the education? You know, we talked earlier about getting singers and performers there from the choruses and and to uh, assemble in regions. I wonder about, though, the other people, you know, the the folks that are the, the experts that you have bring in to do that. Is that as easy as it has ever been or not to get those folks and bring them in? So actually for our in-person events, we've really relied on our membership to teach and conduct Ah, a lot of that for our in-person stuff. So we've almost had the opposite effect, right? Now that we've done virtual for two years, we're able to reach out to some of those headliners and bring them in to our virtual events, which has really been exciting for membership to be able to work with those folks and and interface with them on this level. So uh, it's been interesting because it's kind of the opposite for us. Yeah. It seems like some, you mentioned earlier being in Kentucky, for example, and contrasting that with Canada, that different courses are coming back at different rates. And I imagine doing it to different levels of success because they're also trying to figure this out just like everybody else. Are there things that you're finding that are that are markers of success, that are, are techniques that people who are, are, you know, courses are doing well are doing effectively to bring people back together? Yeah, I think the key is to just not sit still and do nothing, right? Just waiting it out. And obviously, there's groups that have had to do that because they don't have the people resources or the technology resources or just the ability to bring people together. So some of them, you know, have been kind of stagnant. But then we've had other chapters that are growing through the pandemic because with their virtual rehearsals, people are less intimidated about coming to the rehearsal and they can more anonymously participate and they get pulled in and then they're like oh this is wonderful and so we've actually you know grown our membership in some of the chapters so we find that those that are embracing the technology the situation and just going out there and making them their presence known and being creative about it are are having some great success that's a great observation i think pat yeah we also added the component of of virtual choirs this year and that gives people an opportunity to just send in their part but to be part of something bigger And there were quite a number of these choruses that had never done virtual choir, but decided to try it. Check out the Phoenix Chamber Choir out of Vancouver, who have done some incredible things, including they did one, I think, for the longest time with all 
medical people from across Canada. And then I'm sure you know Jordan Travis, who did his Insta Choir, and that was very, very well received. We had them singing with a headliner as well, Jackie Richardson. So those were opportunities that we could create by being virtual. Allison? Yeah, we've seen that exponentially across our membership as well. And in fact, we've offered scholarships and and financial aid to those that couldn't do it themselves and needed to hire someone just so they could experience that. In our virtual convention that's coming up in November, we put out a request to send us your virtual choruses, as we call them, whether it's a quartet or just a random group um, that put together a virtual performance. And I think we ended up with over 30 to showcase during our show. And that's just the virtual part of the virtual what we call the virtual chorus where it's the four squares or the you know the many squares and people singing on top of that we asked people to send us past performances or if they were fortunate enough to have any performances this year to record it and if you didn't have a performance just record yourself singing at a rehearsal we wanted to give people an opportunity to sing and then to share that with our group and we had just as many entries for that so we have well over 55 videos to showcase during our convention which we've now stretched over three days because there's just so much content uh, that people want to share and you know they just got creative with what they put together so it's going to be a really fun show super cool That's amazing. Well, as virtual as we are this evening doing this session, I'm so grateful and feel so close to you all for sharing all of your thoughts and insights about how you're working together and working with each other and and others to help make your festival succeed. Thank you so much. So thank you to Allison Miller-Thompson, Convention Manager of Harmony, Inc., Pat Silver, Co-Manager of SING, the Toronto Vocal Arts Festival, and Shannon McNulty, Co-Producer of NAC. And tune in next week when we will be discussing gender in scholastic acapella. That's Polyphony for this week. Have a good one.